the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. God had laid out his moral law back in Exodus. Leviticus has shown us the ceremonial and civil laws that the Israelites were to abide by. They were challenged to keep the whole law and see the blessing of living holy as God is holy. We continue now with Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 1. Chapter 26 would seem to be a fitting conclusion to Leviticus because God gives all these rules, tells them how they're going to be different than the nations around them, and then he closes off in chapter 26 by telling them how he'll bless them if they keep those rules, he'll discipline them if they don't, and then how they can be restored when he does discipline them. That would tie it up all nicely, right? In fact, some commentators have said, well, we don't even know if 27's in the Bible. It probably wasn't there. It was added by some priest later. But that is not how God works. It doesn't end in 26. 27 is not an appendix, because if we dig into it, I think we'll find that it's the most appropriate way to end a book about how we're called to be different. That's the whole theme of Leviticus. We're called to be holy, called to be different, called to be like our God. And so that's what chapter 27 is all about. It's about personal commitments that people make to the Lord simply because they love him. I mean, isn't that what sets us apart? Right, that we love him because he first loved us. When really you come down to it and say, you know, what are you? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? It means I love Jesus, right? I and mean, that's what it comes down to. So as we look here in Leviticus 27, we're going to come to things that aren't covered at all in the law. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23, if you want to turn there real quick, just a few books to the right, it mentions these types of commitments. Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23. When you shall vow a vow unto the Lord your God, you shall not slack to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it will be sin in you. But if you shall forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in you. In other words, these are things God didn't ask them to do. They're not things that God required them to do. He says, that which has gone out of your lips, you shall keep and perform. Even a freewill offering, according as you have vowed unto the Lord your God, which you have promised with your mouth. So the idea was, hey, God's not requiring it of you. But if you make this personal commitment of something that's not in the law, God wants you to keep it. As we look at these personal commitments that people could make, may it show us, we can't say, well, I'm gonna give this to God, but it's gonna be on my terms. Our service to God must always be on God's terms. But also let's see how he delights in us when we make those personal commitments to him. So chapter 27, verse one. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when a man shall make a singular vow, the person shall be for the Lord by your estimation, referring to Moses, your estimation. Here we find a a general rule that God's going to give about these commitments that people would make. The phrase here, singular vow, it means a special promise or a special commitment. Doesn't list what it would be here because it's not required in the law. Therefore, you can't really list it there. I know I've made commitments to the Lord at times 
my life. There was a time in my life where I felt the Lord didn't want me to go to a theater. I went to a kind of a holiness church and they didn't play cards and they didn't dance and movie theaters were off too. But I was kind of thinking the reasoning behind it was, is well, I walk into a theater, nobody knows what I might be seeing and I don't want to stumble a brother. So I made a commitment to the Lord. Now the Bible doesn't tell us we can't go into a movie theater, okay? I might be going in there and seeing Dumbo for all things, although I don't even know if that's good. I've never seen Dumbo. It would seem to be G or something like that. Harmless. My wife is horrified now that I haven't seen Dumbo. So I know what I'll be doing tomorrow on my day off. But I just made that commitment to the Lord. I felt like he wanted me, wanted me to do that. And I said, Lord, I won't do that. And then there came a time later on and I felt like Lord released me from that commitment and it was just for a period of my life. And there's been other times, there's been times when I felt like the Lord told me to, you know, to fast from like, you know, electronics or from any type of social media. The Bible doesn't forbid us from, from having a social media account, but I felt like the Lord very early on when social media became popular, said, well, I don't want you all over that. And I went, well, okay. I made a commitment to the Lord. I wouldn't do that. And trust me, there's been plenty of times I've seen people say stuff and I just want to go and, and say something back. And the Lord's like, but you made a commitment to me. And I, that's right, I did. So I'm not going to, what I just typed, I'm gonna hit the backspace and not do it. There are things like that that you can't cover in the scripture. And so this singular vow, it means a special promise or a special commitment. So when a person wants to make this special promise or special commitment to the Lord, he says, Moses, you have to value what that commitment is worth. Now, specifically here, it says, the person shall be for the Lord by your estimation. In other words, their lives, this commitment that they're making, you have to put a value on it. Now, why would that be the case? Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. But there's a lot of debate on what this means here. The first commitment that we're going to look at in verses 1 through 8 is a commitment of someone's life. They're going to say, Lord, I'm going to dedicate a period of my life to serve you. Now, again, this is where the debate comes in. Because some commentators claim, well, people couldn't serve because they weren't part of the priesthood or the Levites. So how could they serve in the tabernacle? They wouldn't be allowed to. So they would say that Moses would have to value what their time was worth. And they'd say, well, this is what your time is worth. And we'll get to the moment, the value that God, God gave out here. And then you would pay. And so you would pay the tabernacle since you weren't allowed to serve. My problem with that view is this seems to be at odds with Hannah's promise to dedicate Samuel to God's service. He was from the tribe of Ephraim and we see him serving right in the tabernacle right beside Eli. So for me, I don't think that's the right interpretation. Other commentators say that God charged people this redemption price when they wanted to get out of their service because we're gonna actually see that with other things later on. While a redemption price is mentioned in other things, there's no mention of redemption of persons here. So the idea would be like, okay, Lord, you know, I told you I wanted to serve you for a month in the tabernacle, but man, I heard my fields are just, you know, hopping. I need to get back to them. And so to get out of it, you'd have to pay a redemption price. But again, we don't have any mention of a redemption price for persons here. So I don't know if that works, which leaves the third view. And the third view is that if you volunteered yourself or another family member or an employee to help out in the tabernacle, that it costs you something to do so. Now that's a fascinating viewpoint. Wait, I want to serve and I have to pay? That's the view that makes the most sense to me because that's the simple reading of the text here. Now you might be asking, why in the world would God charge someone to volunteer? It's your choice to volunteer, right? Something someone said to me a couple years ago, God doesn't have volunteers. He has servants and servants have masters. There's a difference. When I see myself as a volunteer, the problem is I feel free to come and go as I please. The cost is determined by me. But when I see myself as answering his call to serve, then I have to submit to his decision on when I come or when I go. The cost is determined by him. When we look at this here, I think what we're going to see is service on my terms isn't really service. There's no death to self there. There's no sacrifice. I'm serving in a way that makes me comfortable. But service to God, while absolutely wonderful, is never about comfort. 
It's never about comfort. I remember I had to make a big decision one time in my life and about what I was going to do for the Lord. I was very comfortable where I was at at that moment. I knew the decision I needed to make was because it was going to stretch me more than staying where I was. God and service to him are about sacrifice, not comfort. <laughs> there is little that's more frustrating than someone who says, I want to help, but then becomes a headache because they set the terms for their help, right? Well, I want to help. And then you say, okay, I need you to do this. And you go, I don't want to do that. And now you think, now not only do I not have the help I thought I was going to have, but now I've got an argument on my hands. Or, or someone, you know, who, who, who decides they're going to set the terms for their help. I'll help you if you do it this way, or I'll help you when it's convenient for me. But you know, David said, I will not give that to the Lord, which cost me nothing. That's what he said. And I believe this is the proper mindset towards our service to God. So as we get into this here, I would ask you a question. You know, do you serve God on your terms or in an attitude of submission and sacrifice? Israelites would only make this commitment here if they were serious because it had a cost. Let's look at it. Verse three and four, we see the cost for men and women in their prime. It says, now your estimation shall be of a male who's from 20 years old, even unto 60 years old. That's your prime, by the way. So if you haven't hit 60 yet, you are in your prime still. If you've hit 60... You are the wise and elderly, and as the King James lovely says, the hoary head. That's what you got. So between 20 and 60, it says, even your estimations for a male will be 50 shekels of silver after the shekel of the sanctuary. And if it be a female, then your estimation shall be 30 shekels. Exodus 21, 32, interestingly enough, placed the value of a servant at 30 shekels. If a man in his prime was going to leave his fields or send one of his best workers, God wanted him to be serious about it. The cost involved meant you wouldn't be slacking at the tabernacle so you could go back to the fields faster you would be paying a price to do this. Same thing for a gal. Now, were women valued less by God? No, not at all. Exodus 21, 32 shows that God values the lives of men and women equally. If it was a manservant that was injured and you injured him, you had to pay the guy 30 shekels. Same thing if it was a gal servant, a maid servant. If you injured him and he couldn't get the value from it anymore, you had to pay him 30 shekels. So God values men and women equally. The scriptures are very clear about that. But they did do very different work back then. And since men did most of the heavy lifting, it would be a greater cost to lose one of those. So that's why the price value was different. Now, verses 5 through 7, we see the price for young adults, children, and the elderly. It says, now, if it be from 5 years old, even unto 20 years old, then your estimation shall be of a male 20 shekels and of the female 10 shekels. If they be from a month old, even unto five years old, then your estimation shall be of the male five shekels of silver. And for the female, your estimation shall be three shekels of silver. And if it be from 60 years old and above, if it's a male, then your value, your estimation, your value you attribute to them will be 15 shekels for the female 10 shekels. I love this because it shows that God accepted the service of anybody, regardless of age. Even a toddler could serve the Lord. No one was too small, too old, or too insignificant to serve the Lord in some capacity. Those who were younger or elderly had more limitations in what they could do, so the cost was lower. But they still could do something. And so let me ask you, do you consider yourself too young or too old to serve the Lord? Don't. Don't ever think that. If he puts it on your heart to serve, then serve. We're all part of the body of Christ and we're all necessary to get God's work done. Age, it doesn't matter. Now, what if you couldn't come up with the money to serve though, but you still wanted to do it? We'll look at verse eight. But if he be poorer than your estimation, which is why here I I have a hard time with the whole redemption price thing because again, there's a a special price for those who would be financially difficult. You know, if, if you had a redemption price, you would just be stuck. But if he be poorer than your estimation, You know, in other words, if he has less money than what you've said, well, this is what the cost is. Then he shall present himself before the priest and the priest shall value him. The word there, not value him as a person, but set an appropriate monetary cost. 
His value or her value would be intrinsic regardless of financial status because of the value that God puts upon us. But he would assess an appropriate monetary cost. It mentions how, according to his ability that vowed, shall the priest assess this cost. Literally, that phrase, according to his ability, means what his hand can raise. So the priest would choose a price that did cost him something, but wouldn't bankrupt him or be too much that he couldn't serve. When someone asks for financial help to like go to a conference or retreat at our church, we usually ask them first off, we say, well, what can you pay? Or if they come for financial aid, we say, well, what can you do? And the reason for this is because I found that when the church pays everything, those people frequently don't show up to the conference or the retreat, or they go home early because they have no skin in the game. And I found it time and time again. If someone says, oh, well, we're going to pay for it. And I say, oh, I don't know if that's the best idea. I say, even if it's just five bucks that they have to pay, just have them have some skin in the game. Have them have some cost to themselves. The reason for that is, is that then it's a value to them. Then it means something to them because it costs them something. Service for the poor even cost them something, just like David said it should. For everybody, they could serve the Lord if they wanted to make a special commitment. It doesn't list what that was. If it was for a day, it was for a day, whatever. But the idea was here, there's a price involved, a cost involved to the service. It's on God's terms. Now, what if you had an animal you wanted to donate to the Lord? Verse 9, it says here, And if it be a beast, whereof men bring an offering unto the Lord... All that any man gives of such unto the Lord shall be holy. Now the priests and the Levites, they had need for beasts of burden for their travels as well as finances to clothe their families and keep up their homes. So if you wanted to donate an animal for one of those purposes and you said, well, hey, the next sheep that's born for my flock goes to the Lord. Great, thank you, that's so generous of you, wonderful. What happens when that sheep comes out is a really nice one. And you're thinking, this guy's going to live for a long time and give me lots of other sheep. And, you know, I don't know if I want to give this one up. I want to swap him for another. Well, you can't just do that. He says here, now, if it be a beast whereof any man bring an offering unto the Lord. So the first category here is of clean animals, animals that you could bring as an offering, a goat, a bull, a lamb. He says, well, if any man wants to give such unto the Lord, it has to be holy. In other words, if you want to bring a clean animal, well, then it has to meet the same requirements for an offering, no blemishes, okay? No blemish, it needs to be holy. And then verse 10, he shall not alter it, which means pick a new one, or change it or exchange it for another one, a good for a bad or a bad for a good. But there is an exception. If he shall at all change beast for beast, exchange it or substitute, then it and the exchange thereof shall be holy. Now, some have claimed that meant if you tried to pull a swap, you ended up losing both animals. I don't think that's what God's saying here. Uh, but this simply means that you can only make a swap of equal value. So if you're going to swap when you think, man, I really like this one that came out. I don't know if I want to give this one to the Lord. Well, you need to find one that's just as valuable to you. Again, serving on God's terms. It had to be the right way. Well, verse 11. Now, if it be any unclean beast, so any animal that you wouldn't bring as an offering, like a donkey, it says, of which they do not offer a sacrifice unto the Lord, well, then he shall present the beast before the priest. So he would come and bring it and say, here's the animal I'd like to donate to the Lord, and then the priest shall value it, whether it be good or bad. As you value it, you who are the priest, so shall it be. So there's no listed cost here. The priest would decide what it was worth and that would be its given price. Now you might be thinking, man, the priest could really take advantage of somebody like there. He could go, well, that thing's worth about, you know, 100 grand. I think 100 grand, well, that's what I deem he's worth. Why would that be important? Well, we'll get to that in verse 13, but he would have to value it at the start. Yes, could the priest take advantage of somebody like that? They could. Some wicked priests did in Israel's history, but God always eventually judged them. 
always eventually judge them. And there is a heavier judgment for a leader who takes advantage of God's people. So if you are in that role, do not do it. Do not do it. And I've heard people say, well, this whole idea, like a pastor-led church or whatever, that's abusive because they can, if they can make decisions that, first off, I don't make any decision by myself. We have a board, a financial board, that we don't make decisions unless we're all in 100% agreement. So I don't make any decision by myself. And secondly, the Bible says there's wisdom in many counselors. I don't make any arbitrary decisions. I run things by our leaders. And I say, guys, I've got a large group of guys I meet with that, that we meet regularly, and I will run ideas by them at times. I say, guys, what do you think? This is where my heart's at. What are your thoughts on this? So that the idea is, is that we're moving forward together. But the truth is, is that any system's open to abuse if you have wicked leaders. It doesn't matter how many tri- safeguards you try to put in. If you've got, I've seen abuse in Presbyterian church governments. I've seen abuse in Episcopalian type governments where you've got like a, like a pope or you know, somebody in charge. I mean, you, it doesn't matter. If you have wicked people in charge, it doesn't matter how many safeguards you have. Look at our government today. We put all these safeguards in place and you know, the judges just ignore it and legislate. You know? So, I mean, you understand. It doesn't matter if you have wicked people. So the idea is you get good people there. God set these rules in place. This is how they were. Don't knock the rules God set in because people are wicked sometimes. Why did he have to value it, whether it be good or bad? Well, verse 13, but if he will at all redeem it, then he shall add a fifth part thereof unto your estimation. So let's say you want to donate a donkey to the Lord and you say, no, I bet the priest, I saw his donkey broke down. It doesn't work very well anymore. So I'm going to get him a new donkey. You know, I'm going to get him a new 2017 Hyundai donkey, okay? So you, you bring the donkey and you bring it to him. And the priest goes, man, thank you so much. You know, we were praying for a new donkey. That is a huge blessing to us. Okay, the value is 50 bucks. All right. Bless you, priest. Have a great day. And then you go home and you find out, you know, your wife comes out and she's crying. You go, what happened? Oh, we were driving the cart home and and our donkey fell in a ditch and he's dead. And you think, our donkey's dead? I just gave away the only other donkey we had. And you march back down and you go, priest, you know, I know you, you, you probably really like this new 2017 Hyundai donkey, but I need him now. I don't have a donkey. The Lord says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't say you're going to give to me and then take it back. The phraser, but if you will at all redeem it, which means to purchase it back. The Lord says, you're going to buy it back from me because you gave it to me. It's mine. And if you decided later on that you wanted it back, you had to purchase it at a 20% markup. 20% markup. What's the point? Again, service to the Lord costs something. God is not pleased by empty commitments, nor by those who simply wish to appear spiritual to others by what they're doing. You come down there and look around, what are you here for? That's not a clean animal offering. No, I'm just giving it to the priest. You know, Lord, put it on my heart to just, I know the priest was having a struggle. Wow, man, that's awesome. What a generous heart, you know? (laughs) You know, then you come back and you go, all right, man, give that thing back to me. How much is it? No, the Lord says, it's gonna be a 20% markup if you want it back. If you were serious about this, you should have considered that. Service to God costs something. Verse 14, what if you wanted to dedicate your house to the Lord? Give it to the Lord. Verse 14, and when a man shall sanctify his house to be holy unto the Lord, well, then the priest shall estimate it, whether it be good or bad. As the priest shall estimate it, so shall it stand. And if he that sanctified it will redeem his house, well, then he shall add the fifth part of the money of your estimation unto it, and then it can be his again. So if you want to dedicate or set aside a building that you own for the Lord's use, usually that would mean you would sell it and donate the money to the tabernacle or the priest would sell it. He says, if you want to do that, sanctify it for sacred use, that's great. 
The priest will come by. If it's in good shape, he'll value it and say, oh, this is worth this much. If it's in bad shape, he'll go, oh, it's not worth very much. Other way, he writes it down. This is what the price will be. A priest or Levite might need a home, but not likely because they were given land to live on. So it would be sold and the money would then be devoted to the tabernacle. But let's say after you made that commitment to the Lord and you want to back out, well, just like the animals they were, that were dedicated, you have a 20% markup. I frequently see people in a moment of excitement make a commitment to serve the Lord in some way. Or they really feel strong. The Lord's called to do them, and he has, and they make a commitment to serve the Lord in some way. But then when circumstances become difficult, they want to back out. Do you know what I say to them? I say, you can back out. I said, but I'm not the one who asked you to do it. So why are you asking me? The Lord called you to do this. Do you think he's okay with you backing out? In some cases, you can look and go, you know, I got emotional. I I really wasn't thinking about it. I didn't really seek the Lord. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And I think the Lord is so gracious. I do think he does release us from those things. Most of the time, I don't think that's the case. I don't think the Lord wants us to back out because things get hard. I think he wants us to stick through it, to stick with it, to keep going. I know that's what he's always told me. Anytime I've said, Lord, I'm done. I mean, this is not working. Or, or Lord, I I just think I stepped in the wrong direction. I'm also hear that still small voice. The Lord goes, I don't lead in wrong directions. I don't just make things up. I called you to this. I want you to stick through it. But Lord, I just feel all this resistance. Well, maybe I'm testing you to see if you'll be faithful. You know, the, the idea here is that, you know, the Lord, when he calls us to do something, you want to back out. He's trying to teach us that service costs us something. When we make a commitment like this, God will test us. You could be sure of it. If you ever make any commitment to the Lord, he's going to test you. In fact, very often what I look for in leaders, what I look for in men or women who say they have a call in their life is I, I want to see them be tested. How do they do when they're tested? Because I'm not going to lay my hands on something and if I see them tested and then they back out after they've been tested, I guess this must not be the Lord. I remember I had a conversation with a guy. He said, I feel really called to go pastor a church. And I said, okay. And I didn't necessarily think that was what he was supposed to do, but that's what he felt like he was supposed to do. Young guy. And I felt like he needed to probably be seasoned a little bit more. What do I know though? And so I said, well, you know, if the Lord's calling you to do it, you got to obey the Lord. I said, but let me tell you one thing. The area that he wanted to plant a church had seen quite a few churches fail. Pastors had planted and then backed out because it was hard. And I said, listen, there are people over there who've been backed out on quite a bit. I said, don't do this unless you're going to finish it. Don't do this unless you're going to give your life for the sheep. I said, if you're going to be a hireling, then step out and don't even start. But if you're going to be a servant, I said, then I'll be there to support you to the very end. And I think that's what God's trying to say here. God, I'm going to test you. Whether it's a financial hit or longer days at work, or whatever. My, I, can't, I can't serve in the kids' ministry now, or I can't do this, or I can't, I can't serve the Lord in this way. Listen, God's going to test you. He will test your commitment, whatever it may be. And so don't back out, or don't try to change the terms. Because again, your commitment isn't to the church, or to other people, or to me as a pastor, or to somebody else as a leader. Your commitment is to the Lord, and he expects you to keep it. Turn back over to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 5. There's a pretty heavy language here. It shows how seriously God takes commitments. And Jesus echoed these words. This is not an Old Testament principle. This is New Testament too, because what did Jesus say? He said, don't make a vow. He said, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear by heaven because that's his throne or the earth because it's his footstool, right? Now we do make promises to God at times. If you're married, you made a promise to God, right? And so there are times when we make those commitments to the Lord. But the Lord would say, if you're gonna make a commitment, you need to keep it. So in chapter five, verse one of Ecclesiastes, he says, keep your foot when you go to the house of God. Literally, it means watch your step. Watch your step. 
I think frequently we don't watch our step when we say things. He says, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. What did Jesus say about the man who puts his hand to the plow and turns back? He said, that person is not worthy to inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. I remember I was in the car with somebody and they were talking about a particular politician who was running for president who had been a pastor previously. I said, what do you think about this guy? And he goes, he's not fit for the kingdom of God. And I was like, whoa, I'm not sure I would go to that length. But the point he was making was, is did he have a call or didn't he have a call? And if he's gonna turn his back on that for something else, then what is that about? I understood his point. And his point was, is that God doesn't just change his calling. The Bible says the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Now, I think our roles can change over time. And I believe that. And that's why I don't want to go that harsh with it. But it was a valid point of, of, hey, what has God called us to? And if he's called you to it, you know, we need to keep our hand on the plow and not turn back because it gets hard. That's never the way that we should go. Ecclesiastes 5, he says, listen, Be careful. Verse two, don't be rash with your mouth. Let not your heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and you're upon earth. Those are the words Jesus said. Therefore, let your words be few. And the idea of your words, these vows or these promises. I don't think God wants our words to be few in praise. He wants us to praise him, right? Let everything that have breath praise the Lord, right? But this refers to those vows that you would make when you would come to the temple. He says, for a dream comes through the multitude of business. In other words, he says here that lots of effort and activity can kind of drum things up. And a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. You can enter into some bad business just by getting emotional and drumming things up. Verse four, when you vow a vow unto God, don't delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which you have vowed. For better it is, and this is a principle that we've been looking at in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Better it is that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So don't suffer your mouth to cause your flesh to sin. And here it is. Don't say, King James says the angel, but it means to the messenger. Don't say to somebody who comes to you and goes, hey, you're supposed to do this for the Lord. Don't come and tell them and go, well, I made a mistake. He says, don't say that. He says, don't say you made a mistake, that it was an error. For why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For the multitude of dreams and many words, there are various kinds of vanities, empty professions. Instead, you fear God. Again, I think the Lord is is telling his people, I'm happy with the commitments you want to make. And I'm pleased by that. But if you're going to make it, keep your commitment. Don't try to change the terms or back out. God takes commitments very seriously. He wants our yes to be yes and our no to be no, especially when it comes to serving and making commitments to the Lord. God has never gone back on his word and wants us to do the same. Service requires sacrifice. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.